Welcome back to week eight of our Galatians study. I feel like we need theme music. I know. <laughs> we need to get somebody to compose some theme music. Need a little, need a little tag. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we are looking at Galatians chapter five, verses one to 15 this week. And I um, have the pleasure of having Abby Hummel back this week. So glad um, to be here. Yeah, to teach through verses one to 15. Um, last week, we unpacked... Uh, what it was that the Galatians had been enslaved to before Christ and saw how Paul argued that by going back to the laws and means of salvation, they were returning back to enslavement again to the elementary principles of the world. And we'll look at that even uh, more deeply today. We defined an idol as a requirement for anything other than Jesus to make me happy. And works righteousness always produces idols, even good things like ministry, children, jobs, or relationship. We saw that the antidote for this enslavement to idol worship is being known by God. Paul goes on to appeal to his personal relationship with the Galatians in his argument by contrasting his dealing with them with the Judaizers' dealings with him. Paul was willing to sacrifice his own life that Christ might be formed in the Galatians. The false teachers were looking to be made much of, to garner a following by making much of flattering and tickling the ears of the Galatians. And we'll look at that even more today as well. We then spent some time looking at the son of the slave woman and the son of the free woman. And we saw how the barrenness of Sarah represents our own lack in coming to Jesus. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked look to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Isaac enjoys freedom in the goods of the promise through faith that he who made the promise is faithful to fulfill it. So this week, we'll see a continuation of Paul's argument on freedom for the children of the promise. Um, Tim Keller told a story that actually was told to him by Richard Loveless, who was his seminary professor at the time, about an iron rod. If you take an iron rod, like a steel rebar, and tried to bend it, if you exerted enough force, you could physically bend the rod in half, like to a 90-degree angle. Um, and then you could also bend it back. But what we know about iron is that once it's bent, it weakens it at that joint. Some of the fibers are severed. Um, it could break if bent again. But we also know that when we put iron back into the forge, back into the fire, when it undergoes the heat of the fire, it not only straightens the rod but also makes it stronger it melts the um, the iron down into a more solid form um, and can become a straight rod again so the illustration here is that gospel transformation happens from the inside out whereas moral reformation happens from the outside in and so what we are really wanting to go for here is that gospel transformation that happens from the inside out that's tried by fire through suffering, through living, through spiritual disciplines. We want it that, that when it's tried by fire, um, it becomes stronger and unbreakable. Um, so before we jump into our passage for this week, uh, Abby, will you pray for us real quick before we Absolutely. open the word? Thanks. Oh, Lord, we come before you tonight and we thank you for your presence as the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is comforter and keeper and that he brings um, brings the words of scripture to mind. And we pray that as we go forward in this evening, we pray that you would um, guard our mouths, that Joy and I would teach faithfully and truthfully from your word, 
We pray that the Spirit would encourage and comfort and guide and convict and strengthen all those who are listening. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The New English Bible translation reads that first verse, um, as Christ set us free to be free men or women. Um, It's interesting there that both the noun and the verb are freedom, which basically means freedom is both the means and the end of the Christian life. So let's unpack that section a little bit. Um, We continued the understanding of enslavement that Paul started last week. Our former state was bondage. Jesus liberated us on the cross. The Christian life is a life of freedom. But what does that mean? What, What are we free from? What are we free from, Joy? <laughs> You're supposed to answer that. <laughs> if we take into context Paul's arguments from the previous chapters, we're not talking about a freedom from sin primarily, but from the law. Uh, there's a quote of John Stott. What Christ has done in liberating us, according to Paul's emphasis here, is not so much to set our will free from the bondage of sin as to set our conscience free from the guilt of sin. You know, Martin Luther said the same thing. Um, I love, I love how he articulates this. He says that our liberty is in the conscience. Our conscience is free and quiet because it no longer has to fear the wrath of God. This is real liberty compared with which every other kind of liberty is not worth mentioning. It is indeed marvelous liberty to have the sovereign God for our friend and father who will defend, maintain, and save us in this life and in the life to come. So the command after the statement um, asserting our freedom in Christ is stand fast or stand firm. Um, This term almost seems contradictory a little bit because we just said you're free from the will of sin and the conscience of guilt, so stand fast. (laughs) Why? What does that mean? Um, This is a military term that mixes the idea of keeping alert being strong, resisting attack, and sticking together. Keller even compared it to a political freedom, that um, in order to maintain a political freedom, it does require strategy, uh, responsibility, alertness. Um, that So it's not a passive mm. thing. Um, it, to stand fast is um, an active thing, which implies discipline, right? Yeah. Um. The discipline there would be um, the disciplines of grace, I think. To enjoy the glorious freedom of a conscious freed from guilt, a freedom that Christ bought for you by his forgiveness uh, and work on the cross. Um, Our acceptance by God has been won and granted. You are now sons of God. And we have to remind ourselves of that over and over. That's the discipline of reminding ourselves over and over. We keep looking to the word, praying, meditating on this glorious truth. We never leave the gospel. We never get away from, um, from the, 
basic tenets of the gospel. So um, the picture that Paul gives us here of what that freedom looks like, um, or the antithesis to that, this yoke of slavery, um, we have the picture of a yoke. Um, and I, in my mind, I, I think of an ox who, um, whose head is bowed, his shoulders are stooped under the weight of the yoke that he carries. And once the yoke is removed, he's free to stand upright again. Um, and what we know is that Christ took that yoke for you, for me, to the cross. He offers us his yoke in return. And it's light and easy because he's gentle and humble. You'll find rest for your souls there because you can stop working. Cease trying. That verse from Matthew 11 is true because he died for your disobedience and met the demands of the law for you, which those demands meant total obedience. And we can't do it. He became the curse so you can stand upright in freedom. So Paul's question then is why in the world would you want to go back to put that crushing yoke on your shoulders? Christ is no advantage to you, no value at all if you choose to wear the yoke again. Well, and it's interesting. Think about Paul as a Jew, Mm -hmm. as a Hebrew. He says in another part of the Bible, he's like the Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, mm-hmm. he he has got it down. And so he comes from this background of knowing all of these stories. We talked last week about this being like a phone conversation that you're only hearing one part of. And that other phone, con- you know, the other missing part of that is, all, you know, this Old Testament narrative that he taught to the Galatian people when he established the church there. And this call of freedom, this is, this echoes back to the Exodus, for freedom, you have been set free. This is still, this is part of God's narrative Mm -hmm. of all the work that he has done for his people. Mm -hmm. And so they're saying, you have been set free, stand firm. Therefore don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. There are little echoes here of this meta narrative of scripture, Mm -hmm. but also like this story in Exodus of the people who were freed, Mm -hmm. who then were headed to the land of promise, but also questioned, maybe we should go back to Egypt. Mm Mm-hmm. And Paul, I am sure, is thinking back to what it must have been like for Moses <laughs> leading right. those people. Right. Um, but human nature is the same. Right. Which makes me think that picture of the yoke, you know, I, I, it was often used for oxen, but we also know it was used for humans, human slaves, God's people who were enslaved in Egypt, carrying bricks as they were building Pharaoh's kingdom um, with a yoke. Like, that is a very personal picture. Mm-hmm for the people of Israel, people of God as well, the idea of slavery. Why in the world would you want to go back there? And and he's just told them at the end of chapter four, you are the people of Israel. You are the children of Isaac. Mm. You are the children of promise. Sons of promise. That's right. Mm -hmm. And really interesting uh, to make that connection to, uh, to Moses, um, who gave the law and the Judaizers were Mm -hmm. actually telling them that you needed to follow the laws Mm -hmm. of Moses. But in reality, what Paul is trying to connect is that, the law itself was everything was held within the law until mm-hmm. the coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so he really is telling the full story, the full mm-hmm. narrative of the Exodus all the way through the cross and now its implications mm-hmm. on the people of God. Well, and even if you think back to the Ten Commandments, what is the prologue to the Ten Commandments in Exodus twenty? It says, I am I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of your slavery. Mm. freedom is always primary. Yeah. That is before we get into any law. Mm -hmm. It's really good. 
Um, so it's also interesting to look at the word that comes right after yoke again. And I think this is going to connect what we were just saying. That word again, don't return again or submit. I think it was the word submit again to this yoke of slavery. Paul's basically saying that the slavery you were under and your pagan idol worship is no different than the slavery of biblical moralism or keeping the law, the keeping of the law. Just as before, when you were enslaved by your pagan idolatry, you would never know if what you were doing was enough to please the gods, to get whatever whatever it was you were wanting to get Mm -hmm. from the gods. This led them to insecurity, fear, depression, and anxiety, pride, and guilt. It's the exact same in the keeping of the law. You never know if you're doing enough to secure your salvation or um, eternity. And the truth is you are never doing enough because we know that we cannot keep the law in total obedience. And so um, he makes that connection, but then returning again to a yoke of slavery that by adhering to circumcision as a means of salvation, it was no different than the pagan idolatry that they were in before they'd ever even heard of the God of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, the word submit can be such a hot button word. Uh Um, And, and it gets, it gets thrown around in ways that it doesn't always need to. Yep. Mistaught. We're not, we're not going there, but it's interesting to note that, I mean, the word itself can just kind of grind your gears depending on, you know, what your church background might be. But Paul is really saying here, we don't need to have this question of like, what am I submitting to, to whom am I submitting? We are all in submission. Mm-hmm. You should be a lot more concerned about, am I submitting to the wrong things? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And you can submit to freedom or you can submit to slavery. You are, you are a person in submission, mm-hmm. but there's not a neutral ground. Yeah. So verses two to four kind of strike at the heart of the whole letter, really. Yes. They sum up the previous two chapters, but really it's kind of the heart of the whole letter. And to simplify it, the Judaizers were preaching that faith in Christ was insufficient for salvation. Circumcision and law abiding must be added to it. And Paul is saying, you can't have it both ways. It is impossible to receive Christ acknowledging that you cannot save yourself and then receive circumcision claiming that you can. If you add anything to Christ, you lose Christ. Salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. I love how enthusiastic he is here. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking <laughs> <The whole> a <letter>. letter. <laughs> but I mean, I was thinking a little bit of that quote from Jim Elliott, who is that missionary mm-hmm. um, to Ecuador in like the 1950s. Um, who has kind of this famous quote and it says, wherever you are, wherever you are, be all there. Paul is like a step ahead of him. Mm-hmm. It's like, wherever you are, you're already all the way at the mm-hmm. end of it. Like mm-hmm. as a chronic overthinker myself, mm-hmm. I find it really helpful that Paul even is way ahead of me. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. take, he is taking you from this one idea here and takes you all the way through to the end. Yeah. He's really was a brilliant, a brilliant brain, brilliant ma- yeah. mind. So verse four, hmm. What was verse four again? Let me get back up and and read it out loud. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So the question there, does verse four mean that Christians can lose their salvation? I mean, if you take it just this verse, you can be left with that question. Hmm. So what is the danger in proof texting? (laughs) I'm taking a verse out of its context. Yeah. Let's use the this use scripture to interpret scripture. Let's do that. What did you find about that question? Well, there are many scriptures throughout the Bible, many references that also address this question that are very, very firm that a Christian cannot lose their salvation. 
Um, in our homework, we went to a few of these verses. I especially love John 10, which we all studied together a couple years ago, um, which says, I, you know, Jesus is speaking. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. We also looked at passages in Philippians, in 1 John, and in 2 Timothy, which all proclaim without question that those whom God accepts by his beloved son cannot totally or finally fall away from a state of grace, but certainly persevere in that grace to the very end and are saved for eternal life. Hmm. The, I mean, the nerdy, theological, reformed phrase for this, which I love, is the perseverance of the saints. Hmm. It's a very important theological point regarding salvation and sanctification and our life in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, Reverend Barker, Frank Barker, almost said Charles Barkley. <laughs> Charles Barkley did not say this. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell we've been watching a lot of basketball in our house? Oh, Frank Barker, who was a um, PCA pastor that I grew up under years and years ago. He used to say that faith that fizzles at the finish was faulty at the first. Mm. Um, so it's impossible for us to have assurance of salvation if we are relying on our goodness to save us or to maintain us in any way. First John 2.19 says, They were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Christians are saved by grace, but we show it by trusting in grace. Those who fall away never really trusted grace in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, Keller says that we didn't earn our salvation by our behavior and we can't unearn it by our behavior. So for the believer who falls into sin and asks the question, how could God ever forgive me for this sin? Then my answer would be, you didn't earn it in the first place. Yeah. You can't unearn it by your behavior. So the way that we restore ourselves is the same way that we came to God in the first place. Through faith. Yeah. Repentance and faith. Believing that God, God's promises are true for those who are his sons and daughters. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a beautiful thing that salvation is the Lord's because it's also sometimes hard to hear this because that means that maybe people in my life who I have thought were believers and are not really living like it right now, Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to look look at that and question and wonder what's going on. But mm-hmm. if salvation is the Lord's, we can we can trust mm-hmm. that the Lord knows, you know, if we want to use the illustration from John 10, that Jesus is the good shepherd, mm-hmm. that he knows his flock, his mm-hmm. flock know his voice, mm-hmm. um, and we can trust him that he will sustain those he has called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this is why Paul has so much vigor in this argument because he sees what's at stake here. He's fighting for that finished faith Mm -hmm. for um, these new believers and for them to hold fast, to stand firm in the message they received in the beginning, which was the message he received from God. That's why chapter one is so important. Um, This is the message you received in the very beginning and it hasn't changed. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a consistent appeal to the gospel. And, you know, for some people, I know people that have consistently questioned their salvation and it's maybe, maybe there's a major falling into sin or, um, maybe even just some depression or feeling not close to God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think 
this is a great comfort. It is really a great comfort to know because if you're questioning that, mm-hmm. it's a sign that the spirit is at work in your conscience. Mm-hmm. If you're saying, I have sinned so much, how could God forgive me? Mm-hmm. If the spirit is at work in you, convicting you of sin, praise God. Mm-hmm. That is what he does for mm-hmm. believers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you are convicted of sin, then that is a sign that you are in Christ. The spirit is at work in you. You can confess, mm-hmm. you can repent. You're, you know, Mm-hmm. you can't take yourself out of the fold. Yeah. Yeah. So in verse five and six, Paul changes the pronouns there from you to we, including himself and describing mm-hmm. true believers, which makes me believe that he really believed that the Galatians had received the grace at the beginning. This is such a beautiful counterpoint. Mm-hmm. It is. And, you know, Keller, Keller argues that um, you cannot, lose your salvation, but you can lose your freedom. And this is, this is Paul arguing, stand firm in the freedom that Christ has given you. So the emphasis that we have in verse five and six is on the word faith. Mm-hmm. We see two main statements about faith here. The first one is that by faith we wait. Um, and then the question we'd ask there, what are we waiting for? And he answers in the next phrase, the hope of righteousness. And that hope of righteousness really is an eternal future in our true home with Christ in heaven. We wait for it. We don't work for it. And it's important for us to unpack that word hope there. The Greek for that word is elpida. And it has a stronger meaning in Greek than it has in English. In English, we would say, I hope the weather is nice tomorrow so I can play golf. Except I would never say that because I hate golf. My husband likes golf. But he's always wondering, hmm, I hope the weather is nice tomorrow so it doesn't ruin it. (laughs) It communicates a level of uncertainty that no one ever knows what the weather is actually going to be, especially in North Carolina. Um, In Greek, it means a powerful assurance and certainty of something. Um, Think Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It literally is defined in the Greek lexicon as joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. We don't work for it or strive for it. We know it's coming, so we wait eagerly, joyfully, confidently, not anxiously. That hope is an expectation of what, of what will come. It's certain. And the word righteousness there that he talks about is not, uh, it's more than just goodness. It's a right record, a right relationship with God. So we are expecting, we are waiting for this expectation of our adoption of God. And Mm -hmm. glorification is the theological word we use for that, our glorification in heaven Mm -hmm. um, with Jesus. I mean, we could say that's confidence in our free conscience. Mm -hmm. We are, we know Mm-hmm. No one can snatch us out of his hand. Amen. <laughs> um, so the second statement we see about faith in those verses is in Christ, what matters is faith, not circumcision or uncircumcision. Neither can better our standing before God. Um, but let's look at what each represents. When he talks about circumcision, he's really referencing religion and religious duty or the keeping of the law. And what uncircumcision represents there is paganism or immorality. And what he's saying is that my good performance does not make me right with God or my good law keeping does not make me right with God, nor does my bad performance or my immorality make me any more lost or hopeless. This should lead us to tremendous peace and balance. It really 
um, levels out the ups and downs Mm -hmm. um, that we feel that we can, like you said, rest in that confident expectation of what will come um, instead of riding the wave of emotions that come when we, um, when we tend to think that either my good performance doesn't make me right with God or my bad performance makes me any more lost or hopeless. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like a roller coaster, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Because you're either on this high of believing that, you know, in our, maybe today in our secular age, we have, I have these systems, I have these, whatever beliefs, political, philosophical, philosophical, social, whatever. I'm a good person. Or, um, you know, back then they certainly had all of their pagan worship Mm -hmm. that, you know, all these Galatians came out of. Um, Or you have this just deep awareness of failure. I can never do anything right. Um, And you're always either really high or really low. And you can't ride that roller coaster. It is only through, you know, in Christ where you have the freedom to get off of that and you are Mm -hmm. at peace and you do not have a conscience ignoring the truth at the top of the roller coaster saying you're doing totally fine or a conscience burdened by everything that's you're doing wrong Mm -hmm. at the bottom Mm -hmm. and all of your lack and insufficiency. Mm -hmm. It is only in Christ that you can be off of that roller coaster. Hmm. And the reason both of those are so unsure or insecure is because they are both, both circumcision and uncircumcision here are both circumstantial. Mm. They're both, they can change with the wind, right? Because they're based on circumstances. Mm -hmm. If, you know, the beliefs that I uphold to be true, like politically or socially Mm -hmm. are, you know, say the person who I don't want to get elected gets elected as president. If that's where I'm hanging my mm-hmm. hat, there's that's going to be a roller coaster yeah. for me. Um, it might be a roller coaster anyway, but <laughs> because it's circumstantial, um, it is unsure and insecure. Yeah. When our hope is, if we're waiting eagerly for that hope of righteousness yeah. that he talks about, that will never change. Right, it already is. Yeah, it always will be. So it gives me that stable level, faith strengthening place to sit. Yeah, um, and hang my hat. Yeah. I love the line from not what my hands have done. The hymn that says not what I feel or do can bring me peace with God. Mm -hmm. That absolutely nothing we, whether it's actions or our emotions, nothing, Mm -hmm. nothing brings us peace with God. Mm -hmm. Christ alone. He makes that peace for us. Mm -hmm. Amen. But this does not mean that we can live and act as we please. So if you notice the phrasing, if you notice the phrasing there that um, it's through the spirit by faith that we wait, we'll look more at the implications of the spirit in the life of the believer next week. We're going to unpack that some more. Um, But what we see here that the, is that the working, the working through love of faith is the outflow of the spirit or as Stott put it, the faith which saves is the faith which works, a faith which issues in love. Mm. So the saving faith is a working faith. So um, we're now to verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Hmm. 
And that is the word of God. <laughs> a little awkward. <laughs> now we see a contrast between the he of the false teachers and the I of Paul. Now he's really pitting those two um, against one another. So what does it mean to run well? Does it mean to obey, to live in obedience? I think so. I don't know. Paul uses a lot of running illustrations. Kind of makes you wonder if maybe, maybe he was a runner. Maybe he was a runner. I'm sure he was familiar with, you know, the running at the, of Rome, you know. Yeah. The yeah. Park. yeah. I mean, think about how traumatic all of the physical beatings he undergoes if he's an athlete. Yeah. Which is a little bit of, you know, conjecture, but not, yeah. not crazy to wonder. Yeah. Notice that it's not just that you believe the truth or just that you behave good or like a Christian, but that you obey the truth Mm -hmm. or applying belief to behavior. What we believe and how we act are of the same piece. We can't separate the Mm -hmm. two. Um, And then he asked the questions, who hindered you? Yeah. Well, he's, who hindered you from obeying the truth? I mean, he is asking them to consider real names and faces Mm -hmm. of people that they were also in relationship with Mm -hmm. who had led them astray and Mm -hmm. had brought them false teaching people that they had presumably loved. I think it's pretty natural to really start to love people that are kind of spiritual mentors in your life. Mm -hmm. People who, you know, your faith is so personal. So someone who teaches you about the Lord, um, you know, they become kind of a personal part of your life too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, if you look back at chapter four, when Paul started to argue um, based off of his personal relationship to the Galatians, mm-hmm. um, I wonder if what he's asking there too is like, think about who it is that hindered you from running well. Yeah. Who are they to you? I, we, we suffered together. We yeah. lived life together. I was ready to sacrifice my life that Christ would be formed in you. And who are they? What have they, what have they done to truly love you Mm -hmm. besides flatter you? Yeah. Try to make much of you, um, consider it. And I think like you said, too, Mm -hmm. names, who are they? Who is it really? Um, well, and that can be hard because I mean, false teaching, this was not something that was limited only to Galatia. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it, are, <laughs> yeah, it, believe it or not, there has been false teaching throughout history and even today. Well, and I think the Judaizers particularly followed Paul around on mm-hmm. his missionary journeys oh, after probably. he would share the gospel in a place, they would show up and try to put a bandaid on it. Or, mm-hmm. um, I think they really were just kind of riding his coattails yeah. in a way. It was like a plague for him. Yeah. Um, so then he uses that the old parable or the um the right word parable proverb that's what I was looking for the proverb there that a little yeast leavens the whole lump mm-hmm. um and I, I think it's interesting to think there that the most um he uses that same proverb in I think it's First Corinthians too and in that context it was about how sin mm-hmm. um infects the whole congregation yeah. in this instance, it's error or false teaching mm-hmm. um, that the most serious thing about sin and error is that they both spread. Yeah. It is not, it does not just affect you. Right. It affects um, everyone yeah. that you come in contact with. Right. Uh, particularly if you're living in community with mm-hmm. other believers. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I, I wonder if I, I think it, it 
from his argument, it seems that he was likely being lumped in with the circumcision party yeah. to a degree. Like mm-hmm. Paul's still preaching this, so why wouldn't you believe it? And um, he's just trying to say adamantly, the message of Christ crucified is offensive because it requires us to come face to face with the depth of our sin and inability to work it out on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I'm preaching, if I were preaching circumcision still, I wouldn't be persecuted like I am. Right. But we know that he was heavily, heavily persecuted because he was preaching Christ crucified, which was not a popular message. Yeah. Still isn't. Well, because really, you know, he's always going back. He's always making his appeal to the gospel mm-hmm. and to considering what the Bible actually says. And that's what we can do too, because false teaching is everywhere mm-hmm. and we need to be on guard for it because a little bit ruins a whole lot. Yep. Um, so, you know, this is why it's important to know what your Bible says. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than that, to know what it says, but also know that false teachers can take individual Bible verses and proof text pretty much anything they want. Um, and so it's so helpful to know the grand story, God's big story, the meta narrative mm-hmm. of scripture and the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the four points are so helpful. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and anything that you encounter, whether it's, you know, a book, a podcast, um, a Bible study, you know, anything that you're interacting with, when you have, when you know what your Bible says, when you can, when you can go there and you can ask questions of what you're encountering, you can go into that situation with confidence. Um, what does this work teach me about, creation? Does it honor God as the sovereign creator and sustainer of all? Um, you know, what does it teach me about the character of God? What does, what does this work teach us about the fall? What does it say is wrong with the world or with me? There's plenty of stuff out there that says like, you are worthy, you are enough. Mm -hmm. And if that is what you are hearing, you need to shut that down. (laughs) That is because that's a false teaching about what the fall is. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so what does it teach me? What is it? Does it line up with the Bible? Or what about redemption? What does it say is the solution to what's wrong? Does this teaching ultimately point you to the cross as the only satisfaction for what is wrong and fallen in the world and in yourself? Or does it encourage you to hope and, you know, in some sort of lifestyle or system or your own self-knowledge or anything other than Christ? And then, you know, this final one, restoration, what does this teaching proposes the ultimate purpose of my life or the end. Is it to be unified with Christ in eternal life or is it to find satisfaction in something earthly before then? Hmm. And th- you know, this does not cover everything we haven't gone through and given you lists of named names of who to avoid and who mm-hmm. to stick with, um, mm-hmm. you know, but ultimately, you know, when you can think about things in this framework, you can, go with confidence. You you don't need to live in fear of false teaching. Mm-hmm. You can, you can go to a book club with someone from your neighborhood, or you mm-hmm. can, you can enter into any situation, um, and trust that this Holy spirit will convict you of sin, mm-hmm. will bring scripture to mind, all of these things that we know the mm-hmm. spirit does. Mm-hmm. Ultimately. Yeah. I think it's who's the center of the story. Yeah. If it's anyone other than Christ, mm-hmm. God, the father, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's likely false teaching. Who's the center of the story? Mm-hmm. And um, are they teaching anything other than Christ? Yeah. To satisfy, mm-hmm. to save. 
there are a lot of voices out there, especially I think to women in our demographic, there are mm-hmm. a lot of people telling us we are the center of our story and also mm-hmm. that we are the savior of our story. Mm-hmm. Neither one of those is true. Right. And you know, what's tricky is that and similar to the Judaizers, mm-hmm. they get really close. To oh the yeah. Truth. Close enough to make it very, um, tricky to discern at times. Yeah. Um, they have the appearance of godliness, mm-hmm. but if they are not preaching Christ alone mm-hmm. for both satisfaction and salvation, um, then it's likely not true. Yeah. Um, so let's tackle these last few verses. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. The message of verses 1 to 12 is don't lose the gospel, freedom. And then we see in 13 and 15, at to 15, it warns us not to abuse our gospel freedom. Um, and that idea of abuse of gospel freedom, some of the words we use are license or permissiveness, um, which leads to abuse. Um, Christ said he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law itself is an expression of God's nature and heart. The law is not evil in and of itself. The law is actually good. The goodness of God's nature and his heart, um, the evil is when we try to use the law as a means of salvation. I love the line from Oh Holy Night that mm. says, His law is love. Mm-hmm. And that's true. That mm-hmm. is so true. The law is the culmination of God's love. Everything, all the demands of the law are summed up to love the Lord your God mm. and love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. The gospel tells us that God is so holy that nothing short of complete payment of sins and perfect righteousness of Christ can satisfy him. But the freedom to approach God without fear is not freedom to exploit my neighbor without love. So here we see that we are free in relation to God, but slaves in relation to each other. Mm -hmm. The idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, Christian freedom is a service, not selfishness. If we love one another, then we'll serve one another and not bite and devour. Yeah, it's so funny in this whole discussion of circumcision, um, that the Judaizers have this, they are just so wrapped up in this question of whether or not a small piece of skin is attached to the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. When Paul is asking them to consider whether they themselves are firmly attached to Christ mm-hmm. and to the church, mm-hmm. their Christian brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So freedom not to indulge the flesh um, or everyone who has been truly set free by Jesus Christ that we saw from verse one, Christ um, is for freedom. Christ is set mm-hmm. us free. Um, it expresses itself in these three ways. We see through the control of the flesh that we now are free to and we, that same idea of discipline. Mm-hmm. The standing firm mm-hmm. comes from a spiritual discipline. Yeah. It's an active thing to control the flesh. Number two is to serve our neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. And number three is to fulfill the law because it is the heart and nature of God mm-hmm. in it. Um, I love, there's a quote um, that I have here from Henry Newen, and I think um, I think it gives us some helpful guidance here. And it says, one of the main tasks of theology is to find words that do not divide, but unite, that do not create conflict, but unity, that do not hurt, but heal. And I mean, as a Christian, when 
we know that we are saved through faith alone, by grace alone. Am I saying this? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When that is how we are saved, um, it's, it's just worth noting that an appeal to the gospel is a call to unity in Christ alone. Um, theological debate is never about you winning over someone else or beating down a teacher for the sake of rubbing someone's face in the dirt. It's about calling someone who is beloved back to the fold because it's not just, we want unity for the sake of unity. It's not just this nice idea of like singing Kumbaya with people because we're all just so nice. It's Mm -hmm. not about avoiding conflict, Mm -hmm. but it is about unity in Christ. Mm -hmm. It is about Paul's whole letter is a letter of, it's a love letter. It's yes. a letter of love, but it is yeah. very sharp. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's calling them to unity. Mm-hmm. It's people, you can guarantee people in the Galatian church did not love hearing this. Mm-hmm. This was a painful letter for them to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still this, it was given in love and this is a call to unity. Um, this is, you know, this is words that calls them, um, to healing, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we want to do too. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't defend the gospel vigorously. Paul defends the gospel vigorously. Mm-hmm. He's already been beaten for preaching Christ. Um, he will be beaten again. He's later going to suffer what I would say looks like a nervous breakdown, probably due to the long-term trauma of all mm-hmm. of this physical persecution. He will eventually lose his life for the sake of the gospel. So he is vigorously defending the gospel. It is definitely causing some discord. Mm. Um, and he's paying for the price for that. He is being bitten and devoured in very real ways, but that is not coming from Christians. Like that is not the character or the nature of Christian interaction mm. with each other. Mm. That is, I mean, that is the work of the flesh. That is, that is ultimately the work of the devil mm. and it is an attack on Christianity. Mm. Um, so it means that when we are entering into difficult conversations like this, whether we're talking about false teachers um, or just, you know, weird conversations over the holidays, um, <laughs> you know, with family members, um, it means that we need to be very sure that what we're defending, what we are putting ourselves on the line for is the gospel and not just our own feelings mm-hmm. um, of affection or distaste. Yep in either direction for an idea mm-hmm. or a popular teacher. Um, it means that, you know, we must always appeal to the gospel, mm-hmm. which is proclaiming the call of God mm-hmm. to those who stray. And I like what you said about uh, what do you attach to? Because I, I do think there's, um, we can see works righteousness playing out mm-hmm. even in that. If, if I am attached to a certain form of teaching or a teacher mm-hmm. um, who is being, um, questioned or then if, if I am trusting in that thing Mm -hmm. for my hope and my joy, then I'm going to be angry or biting or, but if, if I trust in Christ alone, Mm -hmm. through grace alone, through faith alone, then I'm not attached to that thing. I am attached to the gospel, Mm -hmm. but I'm not attached to that idea or that person, that teacher, um, that thing. So it gives us freedom. I think it, um, maybe it was Stott who said that, um, biting and devouring is destructive while love is constructive. So Mm -hmm. are we building one another up in love towards the gospel? Yeah. Well, I think that's all that we have for today. As we were talking, 
um, through this, the words to in Christ alone popped into my head. So I'll just close this with the first verse there and then pray for us before we're done. Unless, did you have anything else to add? I'm good. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, Mm -hmm. my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Father, we want to be known as men and women who stand in the love of Christ, who stand for the love of Christ, who are willing to defend the truths of the gospel, even when it costs us much. As Paul lays out that it, um, you will be persecuted if you stand for the truth of the gospel. But I also pray that we would do that not by biting and devouring one another, but reminding each other what we are truly attached to. Our hope has been fixed. The, our hope of righteousness. We can wait eagerly, confidently, joyfully to realize our expectation of a right relationship with God in heaven. We can rest in that. Cease from striving. Take on the easy yoke of Christ and put down the yoke of slavery. Father, I pray that you would help your people to identify the ways that they have returned back to a yoke. Um, Help your people to identify ways that they have impacted by false teaching. And um, God, make us a people who, like a rod of iron, have been tested by fire the fire of the gospel, and have been found to be straight and true. And all of this is by the work of Jesus on our behalf. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.